Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the women's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you say. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. This is the word of the Lord. So thank you, Becca, for reading the scripture this morning. I want to take just a moment to uh, once again mention my name is Hardy Patton. I'm a layperson. You guys can be seated here in the service. My name is Hardy Patton. I'm a layperson here at First United Methodist. And again, we're praying for Pastor Leslie to be 100%. He texted me this morning, and he is feeling better, so I expect we'll see him very soon. But still, keep him in your, in your prayers. But since he's not here today, we're going to stray a little bit from the book of James. We've been spending some time in James, and we'll go back to that in the near future. But I want to focus on a slightly different topic this morning, so I hope you'll indulge me in that. The two things I want to talk about this morning is your testimony and your Samaria. Those things may sound a little odd when you reference them together, but just bear with me for a bit, and we'll try to get into this a little more and tie it back to the scripture that Becca read. Before I start, I'd like to do one more quick prayer. So if you would, bow with me. Father God, we love you. We thank you for allowing us the freedom to worship in your house today. As we worship you this morning, I ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us closer to you and to real relationship with you. I pray that you might reveal to us our testimony and prepare us to share it with those around us. Lord, we realize that you are responsible for the harvest, but the fields are ready. Show us how to do our part. Show us how to be responsive to your calling and to boldly share our testimony. Finally, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in thy sight this day. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. We could probably stop right there. Isn't that inspiration in itself for us to have a testimony? But there's a lot more to this story, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. There are a lot of interactions that take place in chapter 4 that lead up to verse 39. And so as a refresher, if you haven't looked at chapter 4 in a while, you might want to go back to the beginning of that chapter as we're, as we're talking this morning. Jesus' disciples had begun baptizing people, and they had begun baptizing so many people that they were baptizing more than John the Baptist. And you may recall the Pharisees were not happy about it. And Jesus knew that it was time to move on, at least for the time being. And he needed to go north to Galilee. So here he was in Judea, Jerusalem area, and you have Samaria to the north and Galilee on top of that. But what you may or may not know, to get to Galilee, the shortest way was through Samaria. But Jews in that day chose to walk all the way around because they despised the Samaritan people so much. But Jesus had no reason to live by that cultural requirement. He loved all people. And so Jesus did what Jesus does, and he walked straight through Samaria to the north with his disciples. If you have your scripture, go back to the book of John, chapter 4. I want to summarize some of the interaction that takes place just before the scripture about the testimony that Becca read to us earlier. So start in verse 7. And I'm going to summarize this a bit, so I'm not going to read it word for word here. 
But what we find there in this story is the Samaritan woman coming to the well. I'm sure you've heard this story many times. She was obviously coming at a time when she thought no one else would be there. But Jesus was there, and Jesus asked her, please give me a drink. She was very aware of the customs of the day, and she knew that was clearly outside the bounds of what was normal, what was acceptable. And she pointed that out to Jesus. She said, how is it a Jew asked me a Samaritan for a drink of water? But Jesus had no requirement to live by the cultural requirements of the day, and he didn't. He pointed out that the gift standing in front of her, if she simply understood that, she would in turn ask him for living water the other way around. She was a bit confused. She looked at Jesus, and she pointed out, you have nothing to draw water with. And didn't have a bucket, nothing. She says, the well is deep. Are you greater than our father Jacob who dug this well and drank from it with his family years and years ago? But Jesus explained to her that everyone that drinks from the tangible well, Jacob's well, will thirst again. But those that drink from the water Jesus provides will have eternal life. Now Jesus has her attention, but I still don't think she understands it completely. She says, sir, give me this water so I won't be thirsty, so I don't have to keep coming to this well to drink water, to draw water. You see, she's still thinking in a somewhat tangible manner. She's not thinking spiritual. But Jesus, knowing this woman, asked her a bit of a strange question. He says, go and get your husband and come back. In other words, go and get your husband and come back and we'll visit. But her response is fairly prompt. She says, sir, I have no husband. And Jesus looks at her and says, what you say is correct. You have had five husbands, but the person you are currently with is not your husband. Well, if you met a stranger on the street and they told you something about yourself like that, I would think that would be pretty surprising. But I think the woman is catching on at this point, so she knows that Jesus is not an ordinary person, and she begins to call him a prophet, and she asks for how they should worship. She says, our Samaritan folks tell us that we should worship on this mountain, and Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem. Which is it? And she also points out she's waiting for the Messiah. And Jesus turns and clarifies, neither one, you're going to worship in spirit and truth, and I am the Messiah. She finally understands. The understanding of who Jesus is becomes real. She's standing with the Messiah. So as you think about those 12 or so verses, what did we learn from this interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well? We learned a couple things. We learned that she understood the customs of the day, and she understood her place in society, for better or worse. We knew that she, we know that she understood her heritage. She understood the importance of the well she was at, Jacob's well, and the mountain that they were on. She knew that a Messiah was coming. She just didn't know when. And we also know that she was living in sin, just as many of us have encountered sin in our lives. And then we see her encounter the living God. And from this interaction, we now know that this woman has a testimony. But you see, that's where I want to pause and turn the, correct, the question around to us. We should all have a testimony. We've all encountered the living God, or if we have encountered the living God, we should certainly have a testimony. A testimony is simply how you would recount to others what Jesus has done for you in your life to want to draw them to him that they might have that same life-giving, life-saving relationship. So I ask you again this morning, what is your testimony? Have you thought about it in a while? If someone were to ask you right now, 
Could you recount your testimony? Well, there are a lot of testimonies out there. Some are elaborate. Some are more simple in nature. There are tons of elaborate stories. If you go back to the sinking of the Titanic in about 1912, I think it was, there are stories of people that gave up their, their seat on a lifeboat so that others that didn't know Christ could be saved. That's a pretty elaborate story. There's the story of Saul in the New Testament that persecuted Christians and to the point of death and then met the living Savior, Jesus Christ, on the dark road or the, or the dirt road to Damascus in a bright light that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's a pretty elaborate story. Anyone who had Jesus speak to you on a dirt road with a bright light? I haven't had that experience yet. Or in, like Job in the Old Testament who lost everything, lost his family, his health, his friends, but remained faithful. And then God restored everything. And then finally, maybe an elaborate story like Joseph in the, New Test or the Old Testament in Genesis where he talks about having a dream and sharing that dream with his parents and his siblings. And what did he get for that? His siblings threw him in a well and sold him into slavery where he was transported to Egypt, spent years in prison before God turned the table, put him in charge of the kingdom and saved his family from famine. That's a pretty elaborate story. Any hands up for those kind of elaborate stories this morning? It might make it a little easier to tell your testimony but some people have more basic testimonies, we'll call it. Take my testimony, for example. My mother and my grandmother took me to church every week when I was a youth. I sat in church on Sundays and on Monday nights for Bible study. At the age of 12, I decided I wanted to give my life to Christ. So I went forward, I got baptized, and I gave my life to Jesus. That's a pretty simple story. It doesn't sound very exciting. And I think a lot of Christians look back at their encounter with Christ if they've been raised in the church, and they look at their story that same way. Is that what you think about when you think about your testimony? I don't have anything to share. Jesus didn't meet me on the road to Damascus. But I challenge each of you to think about your own testimony this morning. I thought about mine a little bit more yesterday. It made me tear up a little bit, and I'm not really much of a teary guy if you know me very well. But I thank God for my mom and my grandmother that took me to church when I was a youth. That was the prevenient grace of God leading me to Him. My grandmother passed a number of years ago, but my mom is probably watching online this morning, so thank you, Mom. I thank God for the pastors that He put in my life. Pastor Daryl Cates that baptized me. Pastor Gail Izzard. They gave me so many opportunities to serve in a church when I was young, helping with communion, helping with the offering, leading me to help deliver the word when I was late in my teenage years. I thank God for my wife, Tammy, who I met in college, someone that loves the Lord and encourages me in my faith every day. I thank God for my children, Emma and Jake, who we have prayed for for years to have relationship and then I think back to Emma in college, going to nursing homes and seeing the folks she didn't even know, encouraging me in my walk. Or my son Jake, who's in the back helping today, who's always had a big heart for people. And recognized when people that were deemed less than whole in this society, he would reach out to them. That's God answering my prayers. For years we prayed for a Christian spouse for our children. 
Last November, I had the opportunity to give my daughter away to a young man named Caleb who loves Christ and has a strong Christian family. Folks, you can't tell me that God's not real. And now I look back at my college experiences, my work experiences, my church experiences, and God is everywhere. So what's your testimony today? I challenge you to think about that this week. What is God showing you? Maybe he's prompted you just to watch online today. Maybe he's drawing you to your own testimony. The power of testimony is immense. Let's look back at John chapter 4, starting in verse 27, just briefly. It says, Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And then picking up in verse 39, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of the words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know this man is really the Savior of the world. You see, the woman's well, the woman at the well, her testimony led many people to believe immediately. It planted a seed for others that they wanted to get to know Jesus over the next couple of days. That led others to develop a relationship with Christ. The power of testimony is immense. The Samaritan woman's story is so broad, I didn't even realize how broad it was until I did some research. Even to this day, the Eastern Christian Tradition Church looks back at the Samaritan woman and counts her equal to the apostles for all the people that she led to Christ. One of the things I didn't know about the Samaritan woman was that she drew so much attention that the Emperor Nero called her to account for her faith. The Emperor Nero was not a good person. He had her persecuted and killed. The power of her testimony in the nation was immense. Did you know to this day in Oaxaca, Mexico, on the fourth Friday of Lent, they still celebrate the Samaritan woman by giving out drinks every year. People in the schools, the communities, the businesses, they hand out drinks just like Jesus handed out drinks handed out living water to the Samaritan woman. So I ask you again, what is your testimony? As I begin to close this morning, I want to go to a scripture reference from Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And there Jesus tells us, But you will receive the power, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That verse all by itself could probably be a whole other sermon, but I want to focus on just one component of that, and that's the locations. First, Jesus tells us to go to Jerusalem and Judea. In my mind, I equate that to reaching out to those people that you may already know, people that are kind of like you, that may be more devout in nature. Maybe you can encourage them in their walk. Scripture may intend that to be a little broader than that, but just play along for a second. He also tells us to make our case to the ends of the earth. Well, that's like the mission work we do. We just finished Faith Promise earlier this month. 
where we support our missionaries, Nikolai in Ukraine, Alyssa in Iraq, Ben in Peru. They take their testimonies to the other side of the world. But last but not least, the one in the middle that I skipped over is Jesus tells us to share our testimony with people in Samaria. Remember, that's where we started today, the walk to Samaria, the place that Jews chose to walk around so they didn't have to go through, costing them time they probably didn't have to give. But they wanted to avoid people that didn't believe exactly like them. They wanted to avoid people that had strayed from their faith and they despised. But Jesus had no reason to live by that cultural requirement. So I ask you today, where is your Samaria? Who are the Samaritans in your life? Is it the person that doesn't believe like you? Is it the person that doesn't vote like you? Is it the person that doesn't look like you? I cannot answer that question for you. I have to answer it for myself. But I know when we are faithful witnesses and share our testimony to people in Samaria, powerful testimonies come out of Samaria. So again, where is your Samaria? Where is the place you don't want to go or the person you don't want to encounter? For Jonah, it was Nineveh. He didn't want to go so bad that he ended up in the ocean for a few days, but he finally went. For Jews, it was Samaria, but Jesus and the disciples went straight through. For us, it might be a neighbor, it might be a person on the street, or it might be somebody in a different political party. During this season of craziness, I challenge you to ask God two questions this week. What is my testimony? And where and who is in my Samaria? And if you're listening to this and you don't know Christ as your personal Savior today, feel free to come up. Jackson or myself or one of the other leaders in the church would be happy to visit with you at the end of service or during the closing hymn. If you're online, I encourage you to text us, to reach out to us, to let us know. Um, email us. Don't wait to start your testimony today. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for him showing up for us that we each have our own testimony. Thank you for the people you have placed in our lives that lead us to you and become part of that testimony. Today I ask that you show each of us what our testimony is and prompt us to share that witness with others that they might also know you. And Lord, as we think about our own testimony this week, reveal to us also our Samaria. Show us where it is that you want us to go and who it is you want us to see. We thank you for the Samaritan woman at the well and the power of her testimony that rings true today. And finally, for those that might not know you personally, I pray that your Holy Spirit might reveal himself to them even now and they might accept you as their personal Lord and Savior. We pray all of these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.